Welcome into the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Ryan Labner. In this week's episode, we've got Rex Hoggard live from from Bermuda to break down one of the weirdest and wackiest weeks in recent memory on the PJ Tour. Plus, we'll talk about the future of the fall schedule on the PJ Tour, as well as the latest murmurings about the Saudi Golf League. Now, but first, Callaway has made an epic leak forward in the ultra premium, ultra lightweight category with the Epic Max Star family. This family is designed using the highest quality ultra lightweight components to create more speed and distance. Every club is precision constructed so that it's easy to swing, creates more speed, and helps you hit the quality golf shots that you're looking for. If you're a slower swing speed player, <coughs> that's you, Rex, who needs more distance and easy launch for a high ball flight, Epic Max Star might be a great fit for you. I hope you're taking notes. For more information, visit CallawayGolf.com. Rex, you are in some sort of cart barn in Bermuda. It has been a week, uh, as it usually is when you're on the road. Uh, if, it's not a, if it's not a typhoon of sorts, apparently it is an overstuffed uh, flight. Tell the, tell the listeners at home, uh, what you've been up to for the past three days leading into this week's Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Great name. Real quick, how is every club crafted for Callaway? I think I found your rivalry. Uh, we're just going to, we're not, we're not even going to mention that. Precision. Precision. A, precision. Precision. They, oh, it's still, it's swallowing. But no, it was I like think. highly constructed precision. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a mouthful. It is. No, I'm not saying it's not, but it's, it's, it's I was just curious. The one, when you were the one find... week you don't, the one week you don't do the read is, is the one that you're going to get precision constructed. Come on. That's it. Precision constructed. Who writes this stuff? <laughs> Mine is rivalry. Like we have found my soft spot. That's where I need to duck and cover and jump into a ditch because I'm not going to be able to do it out. It's, it's a rivalry. Rivalry. Just keep trying it. Uh, Ultra yeah, lightweight uh... components, precision constructed. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah, eventful week so far. And it, you're right, typhoon, but I, I spent an enormous amount of time, way too much time, talking with the tour's meteorologist yesterday, Stuart Williams, who's the most lovely fellow in all of golf. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as describe him as the Ted Lasso uh, of golf, simply because there is never a bad day in Stuart Williams. And he's the meteorologist, so he knows when it's a bad day. Like, and yesterday was a very bad day here on the you're island. still but in Bermuda. It's not that bad. Uh, it was pretty bad. No, I'll get to it. But you're right. So for the first time in my career, and I've been very careful because I'm not, no one cares if you and I miss a flight or if we have a long commute or if the food in the media center is not good. Like you and I have learned that over the years that people on Twitter don't care. Like it's our job. Zero just, sympathy for that. Zero sympathy. And I, I totally get it. And so I, I never wanted to make this about me. It was only interesting in as much as the first time in my career that I was told I cannot get on a flight because the plane was overweight. And it wasn't so much me because I kind of shrugged and said, well, I, you know, spend an extra night in Charlotte. Everything will, will be fine. But along with myself, there was about 10 or 15 other people who were told the same thing in Charlotte for the flight to Bermuda. One of them being defending champion Brian Gay, who didn't take it as well. Actually, I take it back. He, he, he was fine, although there were some, some tense moments. He, he was as good as could be expected. And the airline, who I am not going to name, was actually very, very good about it as this, well. So this is, this is exactly what happens when you don't fly Delta, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. So I won't name the airline who it was, but I will tell you, it was definitely not Delta. Uh, but the, the, maybe the best part of the story was, uh, Brian Gay's wife was, was with him, Kimberly Gay, who was lovely. And I, I, I have so much fun being around her. Cause she, she has, she has me blocked on Twitter for some reason. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a deep dive. I feel like there's 
dozens of reasons if we really want to dig into this. If, if we wanted to be honest, I don't know what they I could talk, be. I didn't I'm talk sure. about Brian Gay's caddy. I don't know what that could possibly have been about. What that could possibly be. Anyway, she's a lovely person. She's a spark plug, is how I would say it. And there were some few tense moments, but I will give her credit. She leaned into it when she turned to Brian. She told him, you were taking me to, and I don't remember the name of the hotel. Oh, yes, I do. The Grand Bohemian. Because mm. the airline had offered us rooms at whatever local airport hotel there was. And, you know, Definitely not the Grand Bohemian. Not the Grand Bohemian. And, and, Brian, and the look on Brian's face was, yeah, I guess I'm taking you to the Grand Bohemian. Like, he, he did no, nothing to say to that. Like, yeah, I, I guess that's what we have to what's do the, now. What's the priority, Rex? Because, so you said there's 10 to 15 people. One of them is a very famous PJ Tour player who just so happens to be the defending champion at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. There was multiple tour players in that line, by the way. More than one, but Brian Gay being the, the defending champion. How, how, how or why did they select you guys? I, I, made a, I made a joke in the email that, oh, you're only a buck 50. How did they... How did they pick you? And you didn't, you didn't respond to that joke. Uh, there, there's a bit of a backstory on that. Very, very good joke. And I can actually take it a step farther if you want me to. The way it worked out is we were taking a connecting flight to Orlando and we were kind of all on the same flight. And it was a little late, but we still got to the gate in plenty of time. It was, I think it was 25 minutes before the flight was supposed to leave. So we had plenty of time. When we got to the gate, the gate, the door was closed. And like we're all kind of looking at each other and the, and the person behind the counter says, uh, the, the flight's too heavy. We're trying to figure it out, which flying to Bermuda, trying to figure it out that none of those things you want to hear before you get on a flight. But like, there's so many things wrong with that sentence. I felt like we could have workshopped that for days and come up with a better way of saying that sentence. But you're right. There was no priority. I, I don't have any priority on this airline, which again, I will not name this airline, American. but I have, I have no priority on this airline. But the people I was with, including Brian Gay, does, and it had nothing to do with whatever priority you have. It had only to do with when you physically showed up in that line and they had taken your name. And so at some point they had done the math and okay, we can let six more people on the plane. And it was based entirely on who was in the line, one, two, three, four, five, and six. And then they did some more math and the next three can get on the plane. And at some point, Brian Gay's caddy was one of those nine people who ended up getting on the plane. And in the caddy's credit, he's like looking at the boss being like, dude, take my seat. Like, I, I can spend the night in Charlotte. It's fine. And Brian being with Kimberly was like, no, not going to do it. Like, go ahead. Going to the Grand yeah. Bohemian instead. Going to the Grand Bohemian. But probably the best part was uh, by the time we, we realized we weren't catching the flight, we got the hotels that we were going to stay in Charlotte for the night. We went downstairs to get our luggage. And that, that took about an hour. And I was standing next to another tour player who was not allowed on the flight, Vaughn Taylor. And we were talking and he was waiting for his luggage. And at some point, someone walked out and said, uh, your golf clubs were actually on the plane to Bermuda. And the irony of the plane was too heavy, but your golf clubs made it. And three of the people that were on the plane. 50-pound staff bag. Yes. Myself, Vaughn Taylor, and Brian Gay, who combined probably don't weigh 400 pounds. Correct. I mean, if we did the math. A lot of string beans in that group. Yes. I mean, outside of Chess and Hadley, we might be the three skinniest people in golf, I, I would venture to say. And all three of us were not allowed on the flight. So there's a lot of irony. And, and I could point out that there were some players on that flight who were not the skinniest players in golf, but I'll let that go. This is exactly why you need to move to Ponte Vedra, because we never would have had these uh, issues flying out of jacks. I know exactly where you're going when you said that you were stopped in Charlotte. I said, oh, that's not a, that is not a Delta route. And you, you, you neglected to point out the, the issue. I mean, Bermuda is absolutely beautiful. I'd love to go one day. It's about as remote as you can possibly get. There is, what, one flight a day? So, I mean, if you miss that flight, it's not like flying from Orlando to Atlanta where you can just hop on the next one in 55 minutes. I mean, you got one 
option A, you guys missed it. You're going to be a day late. And I was given a lot of really good explanations, but the, the one that made the most sense to me, to your point, there's one flight a day because it's very remote, as you just pointed out. And in any other flight, if I'm flying to Atlanta and there's weather in Atlanta and they have to divert to Macon, Georgia, that's really not that big of a deal. It's a 30-minute flight. If you have to divert going into Bermuda, that means turning around and going back to the East Coast, which is about a two-hour flight. So you have to have fuel for that. You just can't have fuel for the one-way trip. And it was also explained to me that they bring in packages and they get priority. So if, if they're bringing in packages of water, that those are going to get priority weight-wise over passengers and their baggage. So it, it's kind of always a catch-up game from what I was told. My normal carrier, who again, I won't say, I'll let you Delta. Say, say that, did not fly on Monday, which is why I flew another carrier. Mm. Oh, and, uh, American. Uh, I'm not going to mention it. However, my normal character, carrier, uh, Delta. <laughs> Starts flying on Mondays in November, so on Monday I can fly home on my normal character, who would be. Thank you very much. Delta, of course. Uh, and so, all right. So the flight was apparently not the only issue. Um, Bermuda has extremely strict, from what I've read, uh, COVID restrictions, which is why several players either didn't make the trip or on the alternate list didn't want to make the trip because you'd have to get a proof of either. Uh, a negative result or vaccination status. So we've had an issue Rex where the field limit was supposed to be what? 130 ish, 132 players, something along those lines. They cannot, they cannot fill the full field this week. They've had so many dropouts where I, I, don't, I can't even keep track. I think we're at 126, something along those lines. What Correct. is the issue in Bermuda? I know the weather has been an issue. I know the COVID restrictions have been an issue. What's what is going on? I can't remember a tour event in recent memory where they could not fill the field, the full field. That's crazy. Uh, and I asked the tour official yesterday, and I'm not quite sure this is correct, but I was told they think let's just couch this. They think it was the 2019 Barracuda Championship, but they played that I believe one person short, so with a 131 field instead of a 132 field. And People I think they want to go to Tahoe. I think that was like a last minute deal, uh, to be honest with you. I don't remember exactly. It, but again, it doesn't happen very much because these starts are valuable. I mean, if you have the opportunity. And it's this is even, a full field. This is, this is a full point. PJ Tour. Get invite to the, the Masters. The winner of this tournament goes to the Masters. The winner of this tournament goes to, goes to the Masters. He gets as many FedEx Cup points as Roy McIlroy did just a couple of weeks ago for winning the CJ Cup. And yet they don't have enough players to fill out the field. It's crazy. Well, and it's a, it's a combination of things. And there's a couple, there's two of them that I, I want to mention. And then a third one that I kind of want to dig in on because I think it's a larger issue that the tour is probably going to have to address. One of those issues was travel. What I just talked about with Brian Gay and myself, there's only one flight a day. And because of that snafu with Brian Gay, he didn't play a practice round because of weather on Wednesday, the pro-am, the course was, was canceled and closed. And because we landed on Tuesday, because of the quarantine rules, he wasn't allowed to go to the golf course. And he wasn't the only one. There were plenty of players that didn't get a chance to do that. That factors into it. There was also some hurdles you had to jump to get to the island. Uh, you had to take a COVID test and you had to produce a negative COVID test within four days of traveling. The third thing I want to get to, which in my mind is kind of the interesting part of this, and it's going to be polarizing in don't at me on this because I, I think it's Ooh, just I a can't bigger wait for this. The issue, it's vaccination. So you had to be vaccinated to come to the island. That normally doesn't seem to be an issue for most players. It did seem to be an issue for some players, Charlie Belgian being the obvious one. He tweeted early in the week that he withdrew because, quote, he didn't take the jab. 
And then he had some other choice things to say about Nazis. He called the Bermudians Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, I've learned in my career that that's always a step too far, regardless of how angry or in the heat of the moment that you can never. Yeah, no, that one that you could. That's always that's always a move too far. What's interesting, and I guess this is a a good litmus test because we had this conversation at the Ryder Cup as it kind of became an issue with the NBA with Kyrie Irving being the primary player who didn't want to get vaccinated. We'd be foolish to think that there aren't PGA Tour players, Charlie Belgian being the obvious example, who don't want to be vaccinated. I mean, it's simply a part of our society, I think all of us have to wrap our mind around, whether if you're for vaccinations or not. I'm not, I'm not sitting on the vents. I'm in Bermuda. Obviously, I'm vaccinated because that's, those are the rules. That being said, the tour, unlike the other sports leagues, NBA being primary example, need to be held accountable on this. And in this particular case, the Bermuda government had their rules. And I am blown away by the idea that there is no getting around this. We can talk around it all we want. The reason they didn't feel the field this week is because there is a good portion, not a good portion, there were PGA Tour players who don't want to get vaccinated. And for the PGA Tour, this is a problem. The last data point I saw, Rex, was roughly 70% of PGA Tour players are vaccinated. And keep in mind, this Bermuda Championship has, I'd say, elevated status this year because of the cancellation of the WGC HSBC champions. Because of the pandemic, they turned the Bermuda Championship, which is typically an opposite field event, into this full field Masters invite. I mean, the whole shebang that you typically get um, for a PGA Tour event. It certainly is uh, a little bit messy. The first time we've seen this happen where you couldn't field a, a full or you couldn't uh, fill a full field uh, in a very long time. Uh, you were actually on the golf course yesterday talking to players. I mean, it, are, are they like licking their chops thinking like, boy, I, I lucked into an event where I have fewer players to beat. The field obviously is not very strong. What's the, what's the buzz on the ground? I think when you look at, and, and I was talking with Brian Gay about this in the airport as we waited out all the nonsense. And I was asking him about, he's a defending champion, having won here the year before. And I asked him specifically about, Hey, what did you do that night? Like, how did you celebrate? And he goes, I don't remember. And I kind of laughed and I'm like, dude, you've been on tour quite a while this wasn't your first win like did you not act it was, like it was, it was the first it was the first one in a while it was the first one in a long time but again it would be what i would tell my sons in a game like act like you've been there like this isn't your first time and but to that point he brought up all the things that we've talked about like man it was a big deal i was 48 years old it was a late in life victory invite to the masters like maybe at that point in your career you're thinking i'm not playing augusta again you get a two-year exemption you get a lot of points you get a lot of money all of the things you get to go to maui like, there are a lot of things that go into this. To that point, yeah, I guarantee you, and, and I think Brooks Kepka would probably speak best to this. What, what does he say? He needs to beat 20 guys a week? What is that Brooks's famous line? Or at, at the majors, at the majors even less yeah. than that? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 would, I would wonder if Brooks was here what the number would be because he's not thinking 20. He may be thinking three. five. I'm thinking yeah. three. <laughs> uh, Rex, give us, a, give us a reason to watch this week obviously you're on the grounds not to not 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 necessarily to cover it for golfshow.com you are the golf central reporter this week i saw your piece yesterday about uh brian morris uh the head pro but multiple pieces yesterday man yeah give us give us give us a couple reasons to tune into golf to golf channel coverage and not just to see your 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 shiny face on television please you don't want to see my shiny face on television brian morris would be one in one a 
Like you ever meet a guy and I just refer to the, the, the weather guy as Ted Lasso, but you ever meet a guy in, in life and you immediately realize that, man, he, like that's a guy I want to hang out with. And that's Brian Morris. And never mind that in 2019, he was diagnosed with stage four terminal brain cancer. And at 54 years old, he's playing in his very first PGA tour event. And I had a chance to interview him yesterday for the golf central hit. And he's just one of those guys that's inspiring. Like he was so much fun to be around and he was so electric and like he got done with the interview and he's bouncing up and down. Like he cannot wait to get to the first tee. He's going to tee off this afternoon. He's in the last tee time uh, off the first tee with uh, Michael Sims, who's actually his cousin. He's from Bermuda. He played on the corn Ferry tour for a couple of years. If you don't want to root for a good story, if you don't want to enjoy maybe a good narrative, then, then don't watch this. But Brian Morris is going to be fun. And then, and then there's plenty of other stories that I'm really curious about. Cause to your point, like Graham McDowell, is in the field this week. I think he would be one of those guys you just mentioned that's licking his chops, thinking to himself, yeah, I can pull one of these off. Like this field, this golf course, it's perfect. Uh, I want to talk just because this Bermuda championship has gotten so much attention for being as, as wild and wacky as it is. Rex, what's the, what's the future of the fall slate of the PJ tour schedule? We've gone through some certain iterations of this. I mean, the, the tour championship used to end in the fall and then they went to this wraparound in the 20, what, 2013, 2014 here. I think there's certainly been mixed reviews about having the wraparound schedule. I'm not sure the superstars are necessarily in favor of it. They feel like they have to play at least a couple of times just to sort of keep themselves afloat in the FedEx cup race and, and make sure they're not so far behind. If they do want to start teeing it up in January, it feels like an opportunity for, Corn Ferry Tour graduates or maybe some journeymen uh, to kind of to get their feet wet or in the case of journeymen um, kind of get a head start. Where are you on the fall slate? Should it go away? Will it go away? What's it going to look like? I think we've had this conversation about the fall and I'm not very good at business. I don't think either one of us are, which is why we talk for a living. So I, I don't pretend to understand the finances of the PGA tour, but I can't imagine any business regardless of what the product is that would turn down business. That would be like, Nope, we're good. No, we're, we're good. We don't need any more business. We're, we're, we're fine right where we are. And that's essentially what you would be asking the PGA tour. Look, clearly Phil Mickelson being the most outspoken has an opinion on this, that he wants the fall to go away for kind of the reasons that you just intimated to that for the superstar players, it almost feels like, they have to participate in some of these events. That being said, Patrick Reed, I think is going to end up playing five events in the fall. Like, I mean, I would consider him a star player. He's going to, he's playing this week. He played both in Vegas. He's going to play RSM and he's going to play Houston. I believe he's going to play Mexico. So, I mean, he's going to have a, a full schedule. So there are players who do it. Certainly the field in Las Vegas for the CJ cup was very, very good. Uh, Zozo wasn't the best, but I think that's obvious. I mean, there were a lot of guys that didn't or, or couldn't fly. To Japan. Those are those are those are no cut events. Like those are obvious. If you're if you're a superstar player, those are the ones that you're going to circle. Like why would you tee it up with the prospect of potentially missing the cut? Give me a full field, full point, full world ranking tournament that you don't have a cut. That's just a no brainer. You don't want to fall behind. Is the reason, and then Phil, and that's kind of Phil Mickelson's. He feels obligated, unfairly so. It seems like because he can't start in January like he normally does. He can't take the entire fall off because he knows he'll be so far behind. And on the FedEx Cup list at that point. But my point 
as far as the business goes, if the RSMs of the world, if the Butterfield Bermuda Championships of the world want to give the tour money and sponsor events, if, if Golf Channel wants to televise those events, I can't imagine in any scenario that the PGA Tour is going to be like, nope, that's bad for the product. Now, you and I can have a, an extended and probably heated conversation about the need for an extended offseason, and this probably dovetails really well into our next conversation about whatever the Saudi Golf League is up to at the moment because the idea behind there is have a very, very limited footprint, Formula One being the best example. Let's have 14 events and then shut it down and then let people dream and talk about it and get excited about it until it comes back around again. So I, I certainly see the need for an offseason. I'm a baseball fan. I love when spring training comes around. I'm rabid. I'm, I'm foolish enough to think that the Baltimore Orioles actually have a chance to finish at 500 and then a weekend, I realize that's not going to happen. However, I just don't see from a business model how the tour can turn down money. Certainly, I see that. I mean, you're talking, you know, millions and millions of dollars for the Butterfields and the RSMs uh, of the world to pony up for PJ Tour events. Like, it's, it's big business. You're not just going to neglect that. And the, and the second point, and the point I've never really wrapped my head around or really understand or comprehend is – what would seriously happen, let's say, if the, if the PGA Tour season ended September 1? They, they want to finish before Labor Day because then you get into college football in the NFL season. I totally get that. If you had September, October, November, December, if you had four full months off, I don't think PGA Tour players would actually like that. That's almost too much time. We hear endlessly if a player takes two or three weeks off and then gets back in the PGA Tour schedule, oh, you know, I'm a little bit rusty or, you know, I've got to fine-tune my scoring. It's different if you've got a scorecard in your hand than just playing at home. Think about if you had four full months off. That would, to me, like, these guys would go stir-crazy. They'd, they'd have to go play something. You'd either start tinkering with your swing that you shouldn't do. you go mess yourself up in the weight room. I don't see a scenario that they could literally take four months off and get back at it, and that would be um, a, a situation that, that superstar players would like to me that I just don't see that. And again, if you're the PGA tour, do you want to give your players four months off to go and give, give Google eyes to the girl across the hall, which is essentially what we're talking about now. Right? So if you give them four months off, they're going to go somewhere else and play, which means your product is getting on a plane and going and making another company money. Again, looking at it from a, just a pure business perspective, businesses don't do that. I mean, they're going to go somewhere and they're going to play and they're going to make another executive a bonus. That's not what they want. So in this particular so you, case, so how do you make so how do you make the fall better? Because I'm not sure, I'm not sure that this is a is it bad. A, I would um, argue is it bad. Now this week, I mean, we have some issues and we can't fill the field, and I think, but that goes beyond being a fall event. That goes into what we just talked about: travel and COVID and tex- testing and vaccinations. But I would argue, and I've had extended conversations with executives from RSM, that being my fifth major, they're really, really good with what they get. And it's not a great field. Let's be honest. If you compare it world ranking wise, it's not a great field. But what they get is seven days in Sea Island for their best clients playing two golf courses with PGA Tour players. Now, it's probably not the PGA Tour players that you would imagine, but I guarantee you. Isn't that the problem? I think you could make the argument that these events are diluting the overall product when you do have these watered down fields. In the fall, I, I, I really enjoyed, to be honest with you, the CJ Cup. You know, that was a 70-something player field, 
Uh, an interesting golf course that we hadn't seen. It was a it ended up being a pitch and putt for PJ Tour players at the Summit Club. But I mean, you had Rory winning. It was a very competitive Sunday with Ricky and and Kyle Morikawa. That's the type of thing that I want to see in the fall. I know it's probably unrealistic, um, but I think the argument could certainly be made that the watered down fields are diluting the overall product of the PGA Tour. I think that's indisputable. And again, I want to take this week out of it. I feel like this is a, an outlier. That's this kind is, of an, yeah, it is. Yeah, this is a, an outlier. That's kind of an unfair example. But this is so, this is supposed to be this is supposed to be a WGC to keep in mind. Which and actually, I talked theory, to a tour in theory brings together the best players. Yeah. And I talked to a tour official yesterday, and he they they were thinking that because the WGC in China had been canceled again, and because they were playing Zozo in Japan, which the tour didn't want, but Zozo pushed back and they wanted it in in Japan, they were thinking that this would actually be a better field this week because guys would not make the trip to Japan. And again, to your point, they probably don't want to take two or three weeks off at a time before the holidays show up. It didn't turn out that way. I think there's some extenuating circumstances to your point though, as far as maybe watered down field, I would argue the reverse. And I think I talked about this last week that these are valuable starts for the rookies on the PGA tour, for the newcomers, for the guys who just got promoted. They need these false starts because you're not going to get these same starts in the spring unless you get off to a very, very good start. I would argue for the tour not to eat its young. This is the only way to do it. And I, I think if you look at the fall for what it is, an opportunity for the guys who are just coming off the Corn Ferry Tour to get some starts, an opportunity for some veterans, Brian Gay, for example, to come out and maybe get that 48-year-old late-in-life victory. I mean, as long as you view them for what they are, I, I think the sponsors are happy. So why wouldn't the tour be happy? I think that dovetails uh, nicely, Rex, into the latest report that came out. I'm really having a hard time just wrapping my head around which iteration this is. But the Super Golf League uh, apparently met with a select group of reporters in New York City. We were not among them. Uh, other national media members were not as well. Um, but apparently in that meeting, they were talking about this Saudi-backed uh, golf circuit that's been rumored for months. Uh, more rumors now that Greg Norman would serve as the commissioner of the Saudi Golf League, which is not all that surprising since 30 years ago, Greg Norman tried to launch a world golf tour uh, that was promptly rejected by the PGA Tour. They essentially became uh, what are now the World Golf Championship events. Rex, where are we with the Saudi Golf League, and is this still a serious threat to the PGA Tour's viability, or is it just smoke and trying to get more attention? I would say it's finally a serious threat to the Tour's viability um, because it sounds like the gloves are finally coming off. Look, up until this point, the Tour has been in the unenviable position of kind of waving their fist at the ghost that no one can see, right? The, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is, is making people believe that he didn't exist. In this particular case, the tour has had to defend itself for the last three or four years against an entity that no one really knew anything about. We knew the rumors. We heard certain reports. We, we talked about some players doing this. We talked about maybe it'd be a team format. We had a lot of innuendo, but we had no facts. We had no one to call. We had no commissioner. We had no tour office. Like this had been a shadow that the PGA Tour had been swinging at now for the last four years. Early next week, it becomes a very live, very large, very menacing entity for the PGA Tour. And I'm not even saying that for Greg Norman. I'm going to go full insider here and just speculation 
more and more speculation. Greg Norman is going to be the commissioner. In my opinion, that's a terrible choice simply because I think he has no connection to the modern players, the players who are going, who hopefully are yeah, like which, wants- which players and like, Ooh, Greg, Greg Norman's a commissioner. No this, uh, this immediately lends credibility. Greg, Greg Norman late in life has gotten a little, uh, a little bizarre to put it. It's gotten bizarre. It I don't, again, this goes back to, I'm not business savvy. So this is, you know, kind of pot being kettle, but I don't know that as a businessman, he's proven that good. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, does he really have that big of an enterprise anymore? Do you buy Greg Norman wine? I certainly don't buy his clothing. It's terrible stuff. So, I mean, I don't know that he's the guy other than the fact that in the early nineties, he's the one that kind of first pitched this, the concept of a world tour, which good for him. But I feel like in, in the modern concept of what they're trying to do, I don't know if he's the best person for it. I, again, I'm going to go full kind of speculation insider here. There was two former, former PGA tour executives in the room during that meeting on Wednesday in New York with the media members who we weren't part of, who I believe they're going to be calling the shots. And they're going to be the ones that people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's how they're going to do it. Like they've, they've gotten these people because they know how to communicate with these players. They know the right people to reach out to. So it, and it's going to become clear as the weeks kind of go on. But, yes, it's a very real two former to, to say it again, two former PGA Tour executives are yeah. going to be running the Saudi Golf League. Yeah, they're going to have executive positions, whereas I don't believe – I mean, Norman's a figurehead. Let's call him for what it is. I'm just going to go out like on a limb right now and and say it. He's just a figurehead. And I had kind of known about one kind of industry insider who had been sort of been the front man, at least when it comes to players and agents trying to move this along. The two people who showed up in the room yesterday, they were the ones that I was like, yep, that that makes sense. Like I can see those two being able to make this work. And again, whatever it makes it work – so many conversations over the last three days with people in our office because we're trying to figure out how to handle this because it's going to be a difficult situation for not just the PGA Tour, but anyone who has an affiliation with the PGA Tour. Golf Channel being one of those. I mean, obviously, we are a partner. Golf Digest is a partner. Neither one of those organizations were invited to that meeting yesterday for a reason. I mean, it's obvious why they weren't there. I don't think what's going to happen, we're not going to see a player's name pop up early next week and say, yep, this guy is our newest member. He's going to, to, to be the, the first team owner and he's moving on. Well, I don't think we're going to see that. I think this is just the earliest vestiges. What's going to be fascinating to me is Norman's going to talk. There's going to be a press conference. He's going to get press for details. That's going to be interesting. The bigger thing that I find fascinating, the tour suddenly has to start swinging at someone that's not in the shadows anymore. Like they're going to have to respond to this. And it's a very real threat. So there's two there's two questions that I have. I'm not sure that you necessarily have the answers to them. One, I'll speculate. Is, give them to me. Is what is the format of this league? It's changed so many times. The backers have changed. The the key figures have changed. Are we still talking about a circuit that runs the entirety of the year? Are we talking about it's just seasonal? We just talked about if the fall portion goes away. Is this something that just happens over these three months? That is the one question. What does this thing actually look like? And secondly, and the most important. Are players actually going to make the leap and join this league? They'd be banned for life, for all we know, uh, on the PGA Tour. Uh, They'd be out on an island. Their uh, reputation would probably be irreparably damaged for basically just taking the $50 million and running. Those are my two questions. What is the format of this thing? And are players actually going to make the leap? Because if that's not the case, then we're just talking about nonsense. 
Uh, the format, and again, I wasn't in the room yesterday, so I'm kind of getting this secondhand. To be clear, I think it's evolving, but the the original concepts I think are still very much in place, and that would be four man teams, very much like Formula what Formula One does, where you would you would sort of have a team captain or a team owner, and when you talk about those people, it would be the Phil Mickelsons of the world, the Lee Westwoods, the Lee Westwoods, the, the Dustin the Roses, Johnsons. yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the people whose names have come up as being a team owner, and then there would be four players. And the concept would be the team owner, quote unquote owner, would be the one that would decide, okay, this guy's score is going to work today. And I'm going to trade this guy on my team for this guy on another team. Like what they want to do is create this sort of story behind the story. A lot like Formula One. I'm not a Formula One fan. I have a son is, so he wears me out with boring mundane details about Lewis Hamilton all the time. And I kind of pick up on a little bit of it. It sounds like it's kind of intriguing and I get it, but that's what they're trying to to bring to golf. I think that's very, very much evolving. What they want, last we heard, 12 teams, four members each. By my math, that's 48 players. That's it. 48 players, let's say 15 events. The last event would be a quote-unquote team tour championship with an enormous amount of money on the line. That's, let's don't ignore that. I mean, vast amounts of money on the line. As, as far as players who will go, again, this is all smoke. So what we're seeing is a lot of smoke but we haven't seen any fire yet. I think starting next week, I don't know if we see a player that steps up. I don't think we see Phil Mickelson raise his hand and say, yep, I'm making the jump. But I think we're getting closer to that. And to your point, yeah. I think if you talk about a player of a certain age at a certain point in his career, I mean, Lee Westwood stopped just short at the PGA Championship. He said that, yes, if they throw boatloads of money at me at this stage of my career, he's going to make the jump. And I don't think he's alone in that. But who... Why would that be? Why would that be a desirable product to watch? Like Phil, Phil Mickelson, for all intents and purposes, I realize he just won the PGA Championship. He has essentially not been competitive on the PGA Tour for two years. Lee Westwood clearly passes prime. Justin Rose clearly passes prime. Hendrick Stenson clearly passes prime. Adam Scott clearly passes prime. Are, are we just having these aging warriors who are who are spearheading this this weird Saudi golf league for fifteen weeks a year? I mean, why is why would that be a better overall product than the PJ Tour, which has the best in the world? I could get into a long conversation about sports washing. I mean, really? Because that's what this is about, right? I mean, if we want to cut right to the heart of it, and at least that's what everyone is claiming, that what Saudi Arabia is trying to do with all of these different – and Aramco, with the ladies' European tour, is also right there, sort of right in that same mix. And you could argue that they're, all they're trying to do is sports washing to make all of the, thing, the bad things in the press that they have done or been accused of doing – Go away, because look, we've created this wonderful league, and everyone loves it. I, and I had an extended conversation yesterday with, with an executive at our shop and asked the exact same question, much, much loud, louder than you had just asked me. And I guess my point is, I don't think we're looking at this, or you wouldn't, the way you phrased that question, you're not looking at it the way they're probably looking at it. And I have argued all along, and this goes back to early 2020, before the pandemic, Mexico City. Rory McIlroy draws the line, says he wants to be on the right side of history, says he doesn't want anything to do with this tour, and he seems to set the tone for, okay, this is finally going away. Like, one of the biggest voices in our game has drawn a line, and regardless of what the tour thinks, if, if him and his brethren aren't going along, it's not going anywhere. I ran into Rory on the way out of Mexico City in the airport, and I said to him, like, you know, I, I really respect what you said and how you said it, like normally, and I go, so it goes away now. And he goes, no, he goes, there's vast amounts of money. And where there's vast amounts of money, there's always hope. 
And the way I kind of envision this is they're not going to get the 48 players they want, but they're going to get 48 players and they're just going to keep chipping away. And the example that I gave and probably the biggest hurdle, let's look at it from just a, a, a pure nuts and bolts strategic point of view. World ranking points is an issue. It's not the biggest issue, but it is a issue. They have found a way around that in theory with a $100 million investment in the Asian tour. And now the Saudi international is co-sanctioned. So yes, the world ranking board could turn around and say, no, we're not giving them world ranking points, but you have already, you've done it for years. It would be very, very difficult. And suddenly the lawyers get involved in, in all of this. They're trying to do the same thing with the other smaller tours around the world, the South African tour, the Japan golf tour, the Korean tour. If they can make these same quote unquote investments with the rabbit ears, quote unquote investments and leverage those tournaments and those tours and, and the world ranking points that they already get, it solves a really big question for them. So long, long answer to your question. Yeah, they'll get there eventually. They're not going to be there now. They're probably not going to be there before I'm done, but they'll probably be there before you're done. So it, it is October 28th, 2021. Not to put you on the spot, but yes or no, do you think that this is a up-and-running operation by the beginning of 2023? At holding tournaments by 2023? Yeah, actual four, yeah. 48 players playing golf tournaments, probably in Saudi Arabia and some in the U.S., 2023. I was, I was told earlier this year that they were shooting for 2022. That seems wildly ambitious at this point, considering they're just announcing their commissioner. Yes, I think there will be tournaments. I don't know if it'll be a full-fledged tour at that point, but, I mean, they already have at least one tournament, let's be honest, with a very, very big purse. And, I mean – that, that's the long-term question. The more short-term question is what happens with the Saudi International and the PGA Tour. And this goes to the idea that the tour is going to have to dig in and start swinging at, some, at a monster they can I, see. I now. was going to say, how, how does the tour respond to this threat, which is now coming out of the shadows and now has a, a, a face they can, they can try and punch and, and players they can try and you know, physically bar from trying to play? I don't think they have a choice. I mean, the, Commissioner Jay Monahan you know, talked about this last year and he was very, very clear in, in retrospect and now understanding where Jay was at the time, at the time there was a player on his tour who was walking up and down the range on at PGA tour events, trying to actively recruit other players to join him and his team on this league. He can't have that. Like, look, we can say that, all right, the tour needs to find a way to play nice with this new league and, and, and make it all work out and scheduling wise and, and just let the players do what they want to do. That's not an option. It's simply not an option. By all accounts, the PGA Tour has not spoken with any representatives from this new tour or Saudi Golf or anything, anywhere, anyone else associated with this startup event because he can't. Like, look, this is, this is very much a real threat, and they, he has to draw the line in the sand. And the second someone says, okay, I'm associated with, them, with this tour, I mean, I don't know if lifetime ban, we keep using, throwing that around. I'm going to leave that one to the lawyers because I don't think anything is for life. But certainly they're going to be banned the pga tour so what what can the tour do obviously the the purses are increasing we have the new tv contract money that's going to be just, kicking in the the players championship purse is going up to 20 million dollars uh which is just insane to think about i mean the saudis have unlimited funds so if you're if you're trying to have some sort of arms race or purse race uh in this case it's just it's just not a fair fight those are those are apples and oranges uh and the apples are probably going to win what can the tour do to me, the obvious answer is a schedule tweak. The, the, the Saudi Golf League, in theory, is tapping into something that the superstars want. And what the superstars want is guaranteed money 
a boatload of money and they don't want to have to play in tournaments that are necessarily having these rookies or the journeymen. They, they just want to play against the best. They want limited fields. They want guaranteed money. They want no cuts. They want it as easy as possible. To me, or I guess the question is, can the tour go down that route and try to emulate some of those same principles without kind of wrecking what the PJ Tour is known for, which is, well, you get hot one week and you can, you can change your life. I feel like I'm yammering about this. Um, I will say they won't let you drive a car in Bermuda if you're not from Bermuda. Like, you can't rent a car. I don't exactly know why. It seems like the roads are very, very dangerous. It was certainly a very, very terrifying drive from the airport over to the golf course. But they will let you drive a scooter, moped, whatever it is you want to call it. Moped. It, it's a, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely a moped. I mean, a Vespa, whatever you want to call it. Like, and, and so at the resort, there's a resort right next door. So it's not like I'm driving through town. To do it. But I'm, I'm commuting to the office every day on a scooter. I, I got to admit, it's fun. It's dangerous. It's wildly dangerous. I have no business on that thing. No helmet. No, you are way too old to be driving a scooter into. into I don't even think it's an age thing. Don't make it an age thing. It's just reckless for an American to get on the road in a scooter. You can't. I can't you drive have a, a car. Do you have a Do you have a helmet? No, no helmet. You don't, you're not wearing a helmet? a helmet. They don't give you a helmet. What am I going to do? If you hit a rock? A helmet? What if I hit a rock? Yeah, there has to be golf. We, we need golf central reports this week. What if you get brain damage? you think they're going to get worse I, that's, that's true <laughs> it's a it's a very it's a very low bar it's a very it's a very low bar for those reports i i i had yammered for a while so i guess i'll answer your question yeah yeah where's this where's guess. the story going <laughs> what does that uh, what does that do with anything uh because i just i was tired of yammering about the saudi tour um i, I guess you that's an up. option no, I know, and we were we were going to get there. I mean, we're, and we're going to get there next week. And I don't see. I'm going to, I'm going to end my career covering the PGA Tour. And I knew that it was going to come to this, covering mountains and mountains of legal lawsuits, and a, a tour backed by Saudi Arabia, and the PGA Tour trying to just dig in and fight for their lives. Is that really how I'm going to end my career? Uh, do you want to do you want to cover the East Lake Cup instead? <laughs> I mean, I had I had a I had a terrific time this past week covering. <laughs> for the top like, men's and women's teams in the country. Sounds like it. I think you need to go one down on your beard setting, by the way. We were watching it yesterday here in Bermuda, and it was like, oh, I like the beard, but you need to, you need to adjust the setting. Maybe one more down. Oh, I think I look exceedingly handsome. So does my wife, most importantly. You always do. No, you can go one more down. I mean, you get, no, see, I, think, I, think, I think it actually looks better. So I'm wearing a T-shirt right now because this is not a uh, visual medium. I think it looks better with a dress shirt and a sport coat than it does in just a t-shirt i think t-shirt you look kind of ragged i think it's i mean it's a very nice beard it's thick it's full it's well shaped uh i don't find it uh, visually distracting uh whatsoever clearly clearly you have uh, a difference of opinion it, it was i wasn't the only one in the media center looking at it yeah i think the tour could go down that route and they certainly have the resources to do that. I mean, they're just coming into a very, very flush new TV contract. And we've seen that. I mean, $20 million purse at the Players' Championship. That blows away. What were they at, 12.5? I mean, that's a significant jump, a $40 million PIP program. They're paying players $50,000 just to play 15 events now. Like, there's a vast pool of money. But early in this process, I kind of wanted to wrap my mind around, how much money are we talking about when you talk about, quote, unquote, Saudi-backed, generational wealth is what we're generational talking about. wealth but to put it in context 
I, I looked it up just because I was curious. So this is coming from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, and it's the largest in, in the world. And it's $300 trillion, man. Can you wrap your mind around how much money that is? Man, like, I, could whatever so it is many, that, I could buy so many smokers with that. So many smokers and maybe a beer trimmer. Uh, it, you can I have one. <laughs> I just, there's so much money. It, it's an arms race. I don't think the tour could win, I guess, is the, the long answer to your question. Yeah, they, they could follow the format and find a way to be more creative and, and to start handing out money. And keep in mind, it's a member organization. It's written into the bylaws, playing opportunities for all the membership. Like, they, they would have to change fundamentally what they are and how they do business. They could, and I don't think it's an arms race they could win. I don't think they necessarily want to change what the PGA Tour is. I mean, it's pretty successful. The top 125 players each year keep their cards and they duke it out every week on great golf courses. They follow the sun with huge purses. I mean, it's a it's a pretty good product. Could could it be improved? We've we talked a lot on this podcast about the fall portion of the schedule. That to me is the obvious one. You'd like to have some sort of break for for golf fans to miss it. Um, and and I'm sure that we'll get to a point in the next couple of years that we, that we reach that point. Um, Rex, we didn't know what we were going to talk about in this podcast. And we ended up talking uh, for a very long time. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest uh, live from Bermuda before we shut this thing down? Uh, no, I'm good. And, and I'm, I'm frantically trying to find this Twitter account yesterday who had a, had a really interesting to this point had a really interesting connection and it was kind of, it was seven sort of lessons to a successful sports league. And they pointed to F1 and I do find it fascinating that everything that F1 has done well. And again, I'm not a formula one person, but they certainly have grown in popularity over the last year, if not two years. And one of the things is it's that disruptor image and however it is the tour wants to proceed. Now that there is a, a legitimate disruptor, in the game, they're going to have to change one way or the other. You're right. They probably don't want to. The model has been working for a long time. It seems like this is the way you would keep going, but I don't think they're going to have a choice. It should certainly be an interesting podcast uh, next week. I'm sure we will do it after uh, the announcement, the press conference of this new Saudi golf league. I look forward to chop it up with you. I'm assuming by that point, you will be back in the United States, barring uh, any further travel uh, snafus look forward to seeing you on golf channel all week uh live reporting from the butterfield bermuda Maybe, like i said i'm I'm on my regular you know carrier yeah. with, i mean you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna get your points you're probably my gonna be in first class carrier. uh delta uh, and not on your other carrier not, not on the other carrier american yeah well, i don't want to say that I already yeah, got the upgrade, by the way. Thank you very much. I already got the Did upgrade, you? both legs. Appreciate it. Yep. That's see, that's just that's just great service. It's it's almost like it's almost like they knew that you were inconvenienced by the other one. So like they're just yeah, trying to make good almost. to make sure you never ever uh, hmm. travel with another carrier, which was of course American. All right, Terrible, uh, yeah. for Rex, I'm Ryan. Thanks you guys for listening to this extremely long winded edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We will talk to you next week when it is sure to be heated and interesting.